And as I began to put those pieces together, you know, and, and being in my own therapy and getting additional training and talking with my husband, who was really my safe person, something began to shift. And I had some really important people in my life who were able to begin to say things to me like, Andi, what would it be like if instead of trying harder with these things that are so heavy for you, if you tried softer with them? Hey everyone, I'm Kara. And I'm Caleb. And welcome to the Kara and Caleb Show. When it comes to life, we believe it is so important to ask the right questions, but also to learn how to live in the tension and the uncertainty of those questions. Yes, when we learn to live in the tension of unanswered questions, we become more resilient, more radiant, and more human. On this podcast, we explore the questions that have shaped and defined the lives of our guests. And then we dive deep into the beauty and the transformational process that occurs as we wait for answers that may or may not come as we expected. So join us as we explore what's possible when we are able to rest in the tension and live the questions of our lives right now. Hey friends, I'm Kara. And I'm Caleb. And welcome back to another episode of our podcast. Yes, but before we say anything else, we just want to say that we are sending our love and our thoughts to all of you. Yeah. With everything happening in the world with the coronavirus, it, it really has been an overwhelming and scary time for so many of us. And we do not say it lightly when we say that we are in this together. Absolutely. It feels so crazy. Uh, The state of California has officially gone on lockdown over here. Mm -hmm. And we know that triggers so many overwhelming emotions for so many people. Um, I know I've had an entire vacillation of emotion, including anxiety yesterday when I read that notification. But we just want you guys to know that we are attempting in our personal lives and on the podcast to find the beauty. And really to share resources and people with you who can help us navigate these uncertain times with grace. And ultimately we want to be a place where you can find a little rest in the midst of the chaos. So hopefully this podcast blesses you. Yes. Speaking of the podcast, if you have been here before, or if this is your first time, we just want to say welcome. And we are so excited that you are here with us. Also, if you've taken the time to rate, subscribe, and leave a review, we just want to say thank you. It means so, so much to us. And it really does help this podcast and the message that we are sharing. And if you haven't left a review and feel compelled to, that would be amazing. But if you don't want to leave a review, all that we ask is that you share this podcast with one person that you think might enjoy it. Mm -hmm. If you don't know on this podcast, we explore the questions that have shaped and defined the lives of our guests. I think we can all agree that we are looking for answers in life, but we know that answers come only when we ask the right questions. So on the podcast, we explore the questions and then we get to dive deep into the beauty and the transformational process that comes when we wait in the uncertainty for those answers that may or may not come as we've expected them to. We're so excited about today's episode because we recently had the chance to sit down and talk with Andy Kohlberg. Yes, I have to say I was pleasantly surprised by this podcast. You went in blind. I know. You just came to me and said, listen, I follow this woman on a, on Instagram. She's a brilliant writer. I love her message. She wrote an amazing book. We have to have her on. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And so outside of just kind of browsing through her Instagram a few minutes before we actually sat down and podcast with her, 
um, I did not know what to expect, but mm. like you said, I was pleasantly surprised. And I have to say that I do believe I found like the female version of me. Your female soul twin. I did. She's a four wing three. Mm. Didn't she say she was married to a seven? Married too? to a seven. See, Woo-hoo. this is literally us. <laughs> <laughs> but just the way that she talked about trying to find belonging mm. through achievement, it resonates so, so much with me. And she talks about how she armored up. Right. When she was living from those places of wounds, she armored up by not giving people access. Yeah. She said that specifically. You don't get access to me. That is the epitome of how I live my life. Mm. Like not allowing people to have access to my heart. So, yeah. Yeah. She's brilliant. If you're not familiar with Andy, she is a licensed professional counselor in Colorado. And she also just released a book in January called Try Softer, which is a book that helps us align our minds, our bodies, and our souls to live the life that we are designed to live. She has a message that says, in a world that preaches a try harder gospel, that tells us to just keep going, keep hustling, keep pretending that we're all fine, we end up feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, and so numb to our own lives. Andy believes, and she really does a great job of communicating it on this podcast, how we don't have to white-knuckle our way through life. She breaks down how our body and mind are designed to work together, to process our stories, and to work through obstacles. I really do think you're going to love this episode. I agree. And we'll have links to her website and all her social media channels below. Yes, we could talk about Andy all day and this question of what would it look like to try softer, but we'd rather you hear directly from her. So here's what Andy has to say. And as always, we hope this podcast blesses you as much as it blesses us. You're someone who, like when I, I found you on Instagram, I don't even know how I, I stumbled upon you, I think through a friend and I was like, oh my gosh, her words, it just, mm-hmm. I, you, you put to words like things that were already happening inside of me. And I love that. And I feel like you've done that for a lot of people. And a lot of what you talk about is self-compassion and being kind to yourself. And I'm curious, we, we have... I have conversations about this with friends where they're so scared that if they are so nice to themselves or like so compassionate that they'll just get swallowed up in all of their feelings and they won't actually be productive or whatever it might be. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about your journey towards self-compassion and, and kind of answer that question? Like if we, because your whole book is about being kind to yourself, right? Like, yeah, I mean, there's like a lot of layers to so i use the term compassionate attention Mm. um, interchangeably with try softer Mm. um and and i think why that matters and i totally want to unpack your question because i think it's really important but why that matters is is that sometimes compassionate attention means that we need to set a boundary Mm. (laughs) and that doesn't always look kind but we could put that under the category of fierce self-compassion yeah Um, or sometimes it means that we need to attune to, um, the emotions we're experiencing, Mm -hmm. or even just like our body tells us that we're tired and we're listening. Mm -hmm. Um, and so to, to go back to your question, you know, just this idea of, cause I think it's so common. Um, a lot of people worry that if they are gentle or kind or really just pay that compassionate attention that it's almost like it will all their worst fears will come true Mm -hmm. they will be weak 
um, they will stay stuck. Mm. Um, they will be, you know, worthless. There, there's the list is endless, you mm -hmm. know? So I think to back up what I would say is this journey for me is rooted in, in childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. I, I grew up in a home, um, with significant dysfunction, um, a lot of what I would call little T trauma, a lot of relational trauma, mm -hmm. um, both parents struggling with mental health, addiction, um, intergenerational trauma. And so the way that I learned to cope, mm. is that that's what our bodies aim yeah. to do, mm -hmm. is that they're like, how can I keep you safe? Mm. And then we figure out ways to stay safe. And so I learned to what I call white knuckle through mm. pain, mm. meaning I learned to ignore and suppress and shame my actual experience. Or maybe sometimes it was like over accommodate other people, like right. um, especially like my dad, it was like walking on eggshells all the time. Mm. And so for me, my journey has been, first of all, that I didn't even know that was trauma mm. for a lot of my life. Even when I became a therapist, I've been a therapist for um, over 12 years. And, and as I even got into the field, I was like, yeah, you know, I had some tough stuff in my childhood, <laughs> mm -hmm. but it wasn't that bad, you know? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until, and luckily, you know, I was really encouraged and nudged to do certain levels of work when I was in grad school, but even then I just didn't completely understand. And it really took Honestly, it was when, like we kind of talked about before the show with my daughter, mm. when my daughter was born, um, everything that I had been using to white knuckle and, and just keep things at bay, they just, it just gave way mm. and white knuckling it no longer worked for me. Yeah. It yeah. was like, was your daughter just, just bringing this like new sense of like pressure or variables that, that you have not yet, um, kind of worked through? or applied I enough of pressure. So. Yeah. I mean, I think a part of it was that I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. Right. Yeah. Um, gotcha. it was just one of the biggest transitions of my whole life. Um, it was, it was being needed so much yeah. and all the time. Um, it was that I had always found ways to achieve my way out of my pain in many ways. Mm. And you can't really white knuckle parenting. Mm -mm. Like you can't pretend attachment. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't like pretend your nervous system is settled. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, and that's when it was like, I just knew I had so much more work to do and it doesn't discount the work that I had done right. before. Like I, I think that mattered and I'm proud of myself and, and passed on the, for that. Um, but over time, I just, what I, I, I got trained in some really specific modalities for trauma, um, EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. I, I dove deeper into this idea and I, and it finally clicked. I was like, huh. Oh, I, I'm a survivor of complex trauma. Yeah. And as I began to put those pieces together, you know, and, and being in my own therapy and getting additional training and talking with my husband, who was really my safe person, something began to shift. Mm -hmm. And I had some really important people in my life who were able to begin to say things to me like, Andi, what would it be like 
if instead of trying harder with these things that are so heavy for you, if you, if you tried softer mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. And at first glance, I just was like, this is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that won't work. Oh. Mm. I mean, it sounded like a good idea, but it just, I was like, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, that's a great thought, but like, that's not going to help you survive. Mm. Right. So, so going back to your initial question, I think with your friends and, and people who wonder about that, what I began to learn is that compassion um, allows our nervous system to come back into its window of tolerance, mm. like we talked about earlier. And when we're in our window of tolerance, that's when we're able to process pain. Mm. That's when we're able to be resilient. For me, it's also when I'm able to reparent the younger parts of myself who sometimes get stuck mm. in situations that feel like I'm still living, like I'm a 12-year-old. And if I'm in my window of tolerance and I have compassion, I can say, you know, those things that happen to you are real and it's okay that you feel that way, but like, I'm here with you now mm. and, um, and I won't leave you mm. and I'll advocate for you and I'll stand up for you. Um, and so self-compassion and trying softer and listening mm. is, the, is the modality that allows that to happen. Take me back to when your friend asked you that question. So what would like, what if you just tried softer mm-hmm. and your initial response is like, that's silly, right? Like, no, <laughs> like I totally relate to that. Cause I mm. think in a lot of ways, um, that's been my journey. Like, mm-hmm. yo, just, just try softer. It's okay. You don't have to push this hard all this time. You don't have to be this so hard on yourself. And because for me, right, like I've, I found love and acceptance uh, through achievement. And mm-hmm. I was taught that when I was literally six years old. And I remember the moment, like it was yesterday, that I was loved because I scored the game when he touched down. And so mm-hmm. life now becomes all about not literally touchdowns as I progress through my career into the NFL, but also how do I score touchdowns in life? Mm-hmm. Um, and that created such a do more, be more, achieve more uh, disposition and heart posture. And that's the way I looked at life. And then there came a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. This is literally going to kill me. Um, and then where do I go from here? And so much of what I felt like as I disentangled that confused identity, um, it felt like a loss of vision a loss of passion, a loss of purpose, uh, no motivation. And that's a very scary place to be, Mm -hmm. especially when you've approached life one way your entire life, but also you're sitting in America that, uh, in the Western culture, that's all about hustle and make something of yourself and never enough. And so there's this feeling of, for me, despair and loneliness and misunderstood um, Mm -hmm. and really feeling like you're all alone. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious of like, what was that beginning process? What did it look like for you to really step into this? Because I think that's where the magic happens. Try softer. Mm -hmm. I think that is what it's all about, because now you're into you're going to have to do the work to get into flow. You're going to have to do Mm -hmm. the work to get into um, learning how to surrender and so that you can begin to experience what it feels like to be held in this life Mm -hmm. and to feel like you're and and really to find rest. Because I've I've learned that that's what I've really been looking for is this divine rest where I can fall and I won't hit the ground. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's my approach to trying softer. So I'm curious on what that beginning stage looked like for you. Yeah. 
That's a great question. And thank you for sharing that. Cause I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm aware of familiar, familiar with a little bit of your story and I think that makes sense. And I definitely never played professional sports, but I, um, but I played college basketball and I played, Where'd you, play? you know, I, uh, I played it. It's called Pacific Lutheran yeah. university. Okay. And I was, um, in high school, I, I just was inducted to the hall of fame for being the highest leading scorer. Amazing. In That's yeah. amazing. I'm like five, four. So like people <laughs> never, never even think they're like, no, but it's just funny. So I share that with you because I understand, um, I, I experienced, I didn't felt, feel like I really belonged. So I felt like if I could achieve enough, um, that was at least close enough. Like I thought if people, at least they would respect me, Mm. at least they would think highly of me, even if I never felt connected or safe with Mm. them. And so I just share that because it sounds like a similar idea where it was just always this way of, for me, I I talk about it like it was sort of a shield of safety. Um, And I love, I'm super grateful for some of many of those experiences because I tap into some of the fire sometimes, Mm. um, which I am grateful for. But um, yeah, so for me when, so it was actually my therapy, my therapy supervisor we were having this conversation and this was before my daughter was born. So this was kind of like early seeds Mm. of TriSofter being born. I was, I had probably been a therapist for about two years and I was totally overwhelmed. Um, I loved my clients, but I was like, it was like, I was trying too hard. Basically I was giving, I, I didn't know how to stay with myself. Yeah. I didn't know how to like protect my energy in ways that were healthy. Like I, I had been trained in my family that, um, like I wasn't allowed to almost Mm -hmm. like if, if there was a crisis, like I had to like, it didn't matter what was going on with me. I had to like become someone else Mm -hmm. to fit around the crisis. Mm -hmm. And so what I found is that that's what I was doing in adulthood too, which makes sense. A lot of us do that until we get some support and healing, you know? Mm And so when my supervisor said this, he was, this has made such a difference to me. He was just, he is one of the like most calm, gentle people like I still have ever met. And he was so compassionate to me. Like, I feel like if this same conversation would have been had and he was like judging me Mm. or if I felt like he was being condescending my defensiveness would have just been like, you're not like no access. Mm. (laughs) Like you don't get access to me, but he was so safe. I think is the bottom line that when he said that to me, I felt safe enough to be able to consider it as a possibility. And it's funny because in the book, I actually write about this in the introduction. This is, this was the way in, uh, in many ways to try softer. Um, But the other thing that came up for me is that it was almost like my 12-year-old self, there was some significant trauma that happened in my family when I was 12, came up and was like, I don't know who you think you are, John. Mm. (laughs) That was his name. Mm. But like, like trying harder is how you survive. Like, I I don't know what sort of like fairyland you're living in, but like, this is not, this is not how people make it in the world. And so I had these sort of competing parts of myself, the part that really wanted 
really wanted to hear that and just like full on embrace it. But I had another part of myself who really had been protecting me in many ways Mm. because it wasn't safe for me to try softer as a kid. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important potentially for your listeners to hear that our strategies of how we are in the world are often rooted out of a very real need, Mm -hmm. like that there was a time we really needed it. And that part of healing is getting to a place that we can actually recognize that that time is over Mm. and that we don't need it in that same way anymore. Mm -hmm. And that we don't have to shame the strategy, Yes, but we can just honor it and say like, it's different now. Like you're safe now. You you don't have to do that anymore. And so for me, much of my process of really the last 10 years has been, has really been reparenting those parts of myself that still, still feel or have felt like they need to act like there is that real threat, like there is the danger still occurring. Mm And that, and that's such a big piece of, of any type of really trauma or healing work is that we actually have to be in visceral safety mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. because, you know, if someone, when I was 14 years old was like, just try softer. Um, what I really needed was support. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I really needed was safety. What I really needed was secure attachment. Uh, what I, you know, and so it's not to say that that's not possible to try softer, but we can't do that if we still need that adaptive Mm. way that we show up in the world. Mm -hmm. So all that to say it has, it was, it was a journey of, and is a journey of that moment was not simple or clean. Yeah. Um, and acknowledging that and honoring that's for a reason. Um, and that's if, because if it was simple, everybody would just be like, okay, try softer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I even like how you could easily turn try softer into white knuckling, mm-hmm. right? You can turn your, your surrendering. Cause when I hear try softer, it is this level of just surrendering and kind of just taking your hands mm-hmm. and say, okay, I'm okay. And mm-hmm. I, for the longest time, turned that into a performance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which was part of my journey and part of my process. But I loved what you said um, about the ways that we have been taught to protect ourselves. Like it belonged, it was necessary. Mm -hmm. And so we can honor it. And -hmm. I think so many, I know for myself and I think so many others find so much healing in those words because it's so easy to feel so mad at yourself for the ways that you coped and the ways that you um, armored up and so on and so forth. And I think that's so important. But I'm totally hogging this interview because (laughs) I could talk to you forever. (laughs) Um, What do you say, because I speak to a lot of students about, you know, taking off the masks, you know, and let's let's show up and allow ourselves to be seen. But I also, on the other hand, will say, I know that some, I'm not naive to think that you're all going home to picture perfect families. Mm -hmm. And some of you have to put on those masks and you have to armor up because it's the way you survive Mm -hmm. and it's okay. I understand Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Um, but there is a higher way of living life. And so what, what do you say with that, that, you know, we're asking you to try softer, 
but you're still not in safety. You're still mm-hmm. not feeling safe. The people who closest to you are not safe people, but you can't walk away. That looks like maybe running mm-hmm. away, and that's not okay um, for the most part. Um, so how do we balance that of like, hey, try softer, but I know when you go home, you probably need to armor up. Yeah, I mean, that is such a great point. And I think, you know, I think part of it is is brings attention to, I think, the responsibility of adults mm-hmm. um, to create spaces. Yeah. And, and maybe it's not in those kids' homes, unfortunately. I, although, I, you know, obviously at a, at a certain level, um, it, there may be a time when it's no longer appropriate for the, the kiddo to be in the home. Right. Mm-hmm. But up to a certain level that they're going to be in that home. Yeah. And so I think this is why it matters um, that, I mean, even for them, for kids, for teenagers to hear an adult, um, acknowledge mm. that shift that they are having to make in and of itself, I think can be a resource to them mm-hmm. because so much of this is happening below their awareness, right? Like I had no idea, um, the level to which, I was having to armor up. Right. Yeah. I thought this was what everybody did. Yeah. I thought this is what it meant to be a person. Um, I, I didn't, I just didn't really know. And so I think creating those spaces can be really helpful. And sometimes it can be in like sports teams mm-hmm. or um, to have, have an adult or two, you know, youth groups or clubs or um, a, you know, your friend's parents Mm. or a therapist or, you know, there's a lot of different things that I think can help people know what it is like to be safe, Mm. to have an experience where they can take the mask off. Mm. And if we can have a sense even of what that's like, that gives us a point of reference for when we have to go back into situations where we, where we have to armor up. Mm. That maybe even if we can do that slightly more intentionally yeah. mm. in a yeah. way, That's right? Good. Because some situations, um, if it's a dangerous situation, armor like, up. like we're just trying to survive. <laughs> yeah. Like we literally yeah. like, if you're about to get hit by a car, run. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, I think, there's probably a lot more to be said about that, but I think that that is at least a starting place in terms of it always goes back to safety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've, yeah, I've got a question about that. So I'm thinking back. So much of my my transformation has, has happened with inner child work. And I mm. remember using some of the language before I even knew it. I would say things like, oh, poor little girl, Kara. You know, like I would reference myself as little girl, Kara, before I had actually done any therapy around it. And I went away for college. I got out of my hometown and I started therapy at 18. And I have been in forms of it since then. I love it. And I think for me, a huge piece of my work was getting away from the environment that was not safe, right? And my family, they they did the best they could in so many ways. This isn't a bashing session towards family, but I'm curious when a lot of us have childhood trauma that has really informed these ways that we feel unsafe, 
what happens for the person who never leaves that environment? Because I think Mm. about the people that maybe stayed in, in my hometown and are still so connected to those, those families that have actually been the ones that were unsafe. So I I'm curious, like, do, do people need to step away from the unsafe environment to even do the work? Or is there a way when you're, when you're still in it to, to reparent? Cause I don't think it's an option for everyone. Right. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. And I like what you said too, about that. It isn't a bashing session. You know, I think we can hold space yeah, for definitely. the fact that everyone, even folks who had maybe a decent childhood mm-hmm. carries wounds. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. And we, it's important to just acknowledge that mm-hmm. because without that first acknowledgement, we can't even move forward. Mm-hmm. Like we can't even have this discussion in the way that like if, if we can't acknowledge that there's just that there can be wounds, mm-hmm. you know? And so I appreciate you saying that, but, um, I absolutely agree that, um, like for me, a lot of my healing commenced when I moved from the Northwest, which is where I grew up, um, to Colorado. Mm. And that has been about 13 years that gave me, gosh, has it been longer? Almost 14. Um, gave me some room to assess and just to see it more clearly Mm -hmm. because when you're in something, right? Like if you're in the middle, like of the eye of a storm, you may not even think that there's really a storm, Mm -hmm. right? Like you just are like, Oh, this is, this is life. This Mm -hmm. is life everywhere. So I would say I have worked with a lot of folks that that's been true for Mm -hmm. where they are in it and there is not much degree of separation or there's constant contact. And so typically this is why one of the first chapters in Trisopter is actually about boundaries Mm. because boundary work allows us to create the safety that we need to, and, and really the safety that we maybe never had to actually turn inward and listen. And so, so much of, you know, for anyone who's really trying to engage this um, type of work, you know, I would, I would say that it can be really helpful to find a therapist that can help you begin to even just get curious because mm. sometimes we don't That's even big. know That's yeah. really big. Um, how much we are, our boundaries are being violated. Yeah. Like we have no sense of, you know, I call it abandoning yourself. Yeah. That there's a lot of us. I, I was, I was trained. I was socialized to abandon myself mm-hmm. to be like, I don't care what it doesn't matter what Andy has going on. Right. Andy needs to be turning so far outward. It's all you ever knew too. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't say that from a place of shame, but part of my work now is to not abandon myself Mm -hmm. and to listen when my body says, Oh, feels like you're leaving me. Mm -hmm. Even when sometimes abandoning, abandoning ourselves feels the safest, Mm -hmm. right? Because we, in some way that got us through, but a lot in many ways, trauma work is about resourcing ourselves or having other people help us resource all the things that we never got, yeah. all the safety that we never had, so 
That's so so we can go in and actually listen to the wounds hmm. and, and listen to them and ask them, well, what would you need to feel safe enough so that you could actually heal hmm. and so that you could actually get unstuck and, and not feel like you have to live from this narrative anymore. Hmm. Um, do you feel like, and I want to ask another question, follow-up question, but do you feel like you could have started to try softer earlier on or did you need to reach that breaking point? I think I could have. Huh. I wish that I would have gone to therapy in college. Okay. Huh. Um, again, I mean, and we never know, right? But um, college was was a was a hard time for me. And again, this is where it gets so confusing. Like I was a college basketball player, fairly successful, fairly put together, I think, on the outside. So nobody just people just didn't know. Mm. Right. There was no warning flags of like, Ooh, let's get Andy into counseling. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, Andy's the people that is the person that people depend on. Andy's the team captain. Andy shows up. Andy does it even when she doesn't want to, Mm. you know? And that's why a lot of times in my work, I encourage people to say, listen, you don't have to get to rock bottom. Yeah. Yeah for help yeah like like it doesn't have to get that bad and sure like of course when we hit that place that can also be profoundly transformational Mm -hmm. but for me I think and, and I think maybe this is even part of my motivation for writing the book that I did is that I want people to have a bigger and broader understanding of our humanity and our pain and that we don't necessarily, you know, all of us can do work. Yeah. <laughs> and the more we do work, we actually become attuned to the wounds and the pain of others. Of other people, so, yeah. So good. And so I think all that to say, I I do wish that I um I would have had a little bit of that nudge earlier yeah. to say, wow, you know, like you're, you have gone through a lot in your family. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be a good idea to talk to someone, yeah. you know, and, and to feel like that was okay. Yeah. I'm always uh, interested in hearing that because I knew, I, I know a lot of people, professionals in your field, so on and so forth, uh, that would say, no, you have to reach rock bottom. Mm. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think you can long for a more elevated experience of life that comes only through ways of um, somatic or, or healing trauma, doing the inner work or whatever mm. it might be. And you can make that choice today, yeah. you know? yeah. but it's, it's definitely hard to, cause a lot of times we get stuck in, in comfort. Yeah. Like this is good. My life is comfortable. Like don't come and disrupt my normal flow of life. Mm-hmm. And I think it, a lot of what that goes back to is we've never removed ourselves from our current environment mm-hmm. and we've never mm-hmm. seen what's possible. So, like, mm-hmm. and that's what like, even on another level of moving to Los Angeles, where it's like, once I got into the ecosystem of LA, suddenly I was able to see things that I wasn't able to see in upstate New York. Mm. I was able to feel things I wasn't able to feel. Different things came to the surface and it's all because I changed literally geographical Physical locations. Yeah. Right. And now I'm in this environment I'm like, oh, this is what's possible. Mm. Okay. And so I think that to speak to Kara's question, I think it is important mm. that 
even though a lot of people do not have the luxury of walking away. And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, and I'm not, this isn't to say right or wrong or any sort of judgment, but we can justify some really big decisions such as divorce or Mm -hmm. something because Mm -hmm. I need to walk away and get into a new environment, you know, Mm -hmm. different conversation. But Mm -hmm. what I'm really interested in, and this has been kind of a reoccurring theme coming up in a few of our podcasts is we were just recently talking with Mike Foster. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. if you're fun therapy podcast and yeah, such, yep. yeah, such an so amazing, good. amazing, amazing, just full of wisdom, man. And, um, he, he, we were talking about life being driven by fear or life being driven by love. And that's something that I'm very, uh, uh, just really kind of into right now of what does it look like for your life to be driven by love? And mm. I've, it's easy, not easy, but a lot, we all know what it, life looks like when it's driven by fear and like to do more, to be more, to achieve more, striving and hustling and don't stop. It's you versus the world. It's I'm behind, so I got to go faster. Whatever it might be, it's all fear. And when we get into the other side of life being driven by love, it's a surrendering. It's a letting go. It's a try softer. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. What does it look like to try softer for you, but to still have goals to still have dreams to still have longings how has it changed your approach and what does the try softer approach now look like to manifesting the things that are still in your heart Hmm. yeah so many good things there and i think yeah so one of the things that i would say that and this is where i like sometimes geek out about neuroscience Mm -hmm. and just like how our bodies are made and So for me, compassionate attention is all about in many ways, in a very simple way is how do I stay at my window of tolerance? Mm. Like if I just, if I were to just like really boil it down, (laughs) it's like, how do I stay with myself? Gotcha. And so the reason I think this matters is, is because sometimes like even, you know, for example, I'm just kind of coming off of launching a book. And let me tell you, if there's any time of a, like a, an experience that tempts you to just push you out of your window of tolerance yeah. and white knuckle it, book launching is certainly yeah. one of those times <laughs> because you could do every, I mean, it, it's, it would never be enough. Yeah. Like you could be doing all, everything all the time, literally running yourself into the ground yeah. and you could still do more probably. And so the reason I bring this up and like these two co-occurring ideas of like, it's about staying in your window of tolerance, but then there's this situation where for me, like this is sort of, this is a huge, um, like I'm just honored and it has been such a goal and I can't believe that I get to steward this message in the world. Huh. Like, I'm just like, really? This is, this is so cool. Like, I love that I get to do this. Um, and so the way that TriSofter interacts for me is from a place of saying, again, when I'm in my window of tolerance, I'm connected to my heart. Mm -hmm. And I think my heartbeat, like I am a, you guys could probably tell I'm a very passionate person. Mm -hmm. Like self-compassion has not dampened (laughs) my fire. Like, in fact, it has made me more vocal about the things that I care the most about, but I do it from the place of who I really am versus needing to go into fight or flight from a place of defensive, like, Mm. am I being threatened? Is, am I in harm's way? You Mm. know? And again, if I really am in harm's way, I need those things. 
But everything else is my body reacting to things potentially as though it's from the the past happening in the now. Mm. Try softer allows me to get curious with what's happening in my life and in my body. And to say, like, am I saying yes to this thing because I'm afraid that like if I, I'll miss out mm. and, and maybe I won't have enough. Yeah. So for me, that would be coming from a place of scarcity and a place of something in my story that tells me, tells me I have to sacrifice myself no matter what yeah. versus a try softer. Yes. Is like, I'm excited about that. Yeah. I have the capacity for that. It might mean I may need to say no to a few other things, but I have the ability to assess my life well and to say the things that are in my life, it's like, it is like a, like a full on yes, because I'm seeing it with clear eyes mm. and through, with eyes of compassion that say my, this is what my body and my brain and my soul and my psyche can actually handle. And so whatever I'm saying yes to, I need to be really, I need to be all in on that. Yes. Um, and if I, if I'm not, it gives me information to say, well, then what am I really afraid of? And how can I have integrity with myself and say no to what I don't really want to do, but then also soothe and nurture the part of myself that might be afraid. And so what you can see is that there's like these there, it's essentially there's parts work going on. Mm -hmm. There's like my true self that I believe it's like, it's like wisdom rises. Mm -hmm. There's a sense in which I think we, God really designed us with the ability to, to listen and when we have that ear, we can be like, oh, there it is. That's what I really want. Yeah. And I'm going to go with that. And oh, no, I don't want that. And so I think more than anything, try softer looks like having firmer boundaries with that which might cause me to, to abandon myself mm. and stronger passion and focus and connection um, with the things that make me come alive. Mm, that's so good. It, do you feel like that plays out the same way? Um, not just in the things you do, but the people you surround yourself with and like, mm. is that, does that decision-making process go across the board with all things or yeah, is it, how has it affected your marriage? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, it has made me a lot more picky mm. about, about friendships picky and What's that? Picky is good. Yeah. <laughs> the friendships. <laughs> I'm learning to be more picky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a journey and I'll mm. be honest, it's been lonely at times. Yeah. Um, it's been lonely in the sense that not everybody gets it when you're like, I need to reparent this mm. inner child and right. I will fight for her even if everybody else leaves her. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, and I say that really from a place of, um, like I'm very proud of myself for, mm -hmm. for the ways that I have said I choose to love myself um, come what may <laughs> in mm -hmm. many ways because I believe that I'm worthy of that and I'm valuable um, and, and I'm worthy of people who care for me and are safe for me. Um, and, and so that has been hard at times, but I think the connections that are really there have been so rich and deep. Um, and then I would say for our marriage, 
man, I just, my husband, he's just my favorite person. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also, he's an Enneagram seven yes. and I'm an Enneagram four. <laughs> That's us. That's why we're friends. Uh. <laughs> and so he, um, man, there are times when I have done some deep dives and he's like, honey, I just love you so much. And like, that's as far as I can go. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to go back to the shallow end really quickly. Yeah, like he bless his heart. Like he really, I think I, we sometimes joke, like, like we're such a good fit in the sense that I have helped. I think I have helped him to really feel his feelings mm. more deeply than I think he ever thought that he would. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he is such a a life-giving person to me because sometimes my feelings are quite big. Mm. And he's like, you know, or we could go outside. (laughs) (laughs) You know, or like, we actually, we love visiting California. And he's like, or like, let's go to Disneyland. And I'm like, okay. You know, like, (laughs) and it's good because then once I'm there, I'm like, it's beautiful here. And there's so much joy. Yeah. But um, he, so I guess all that to say though, you know, so that's kind of the big picture with the marriage stuff. But I think he has been a gift to me, especially in the sense that he's very safe for me. Mm. And that safety, like we've talked about a couple times, is the foundation for just about everything. Yeah. And, you know, he is the first, per- maybe not the first person, but one of the main people that I've ever felt the experience of being so at rest in myself. Mm. And so what's been cool is that as that got stronger, um, and this is very much, I won't go all into attachment theory, but this is very connected to attachment theory mm-hmm. and our, and our journey. Like for me, I have what I would call an earned secure attachment, mm-hmm. meaning I didn't start out my life with a, a secure attachment, but I believe that mm-hmm. I have one now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, and I believe it's been through my experience of not because my husband is perfect, but because the safety of our relationship has allowed me to leverage that Mm. so that now the voice that I hear in my head um, sounds a lot more like how I think he might talk to me. Mm. I love that. So um, Then maybe just like the harsh parts of myself. So So it's been really, really important. You literally just described (laughs) Kara and I. I know. Because I'm a four, three, she's a seven, eight. And I get stuck in my feelings sometimes where I'm like, my feelings are really big. And I'm like, let's, sh- let's just let's go just, play. Let's go play. Let's go play. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> but also in contrast, I feel like I have never accessed the depth of feeling that I have yeah. with Caleb. But you're like, also very safe. You're a safe place from it. Like very, very safe. Yeah. Yeah, that's mm. good. Um, if somebody only had 30 seconds with you, what would you want them to walk away feeling? I think the first thing I would want them to feel is, is safe. Yeah. I would want them to feel honored. Like I was not pushing an agenda that the level to which they are wanting to dive into something, um, is exactly the information their body wants them to know at that moment. And that I would honor that and that I would want for them to have everything they need Mm -hmm. to pay compassionate attention to themselves. I love asking that question because I feel like so many times throughout the day we have these 30 second encounters with people. Yeah. Right. Mm. And if we can just get more intentional on that encounter, 30 seconds and what (laughs) do we want them to walk away with? Like Mm. our, those 30 seconds can be a very impactful and meaningful Mm. encounter. Mm. Um, 
So, yeah. What is um, a practical way that you stay connected to yourself? Yeah, that's great. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I do a lot of what I would call, are you guys familiar with the term like a body scan? Mm -hmm. Uh Um, so yeah, so just essentially, you know, like a laser was going over your body, Uh just noticing sensations in your body. Um, I often will do body scans just to kind of check in of, of what's going on in my body. Mm. Um, and, and I'm a big believer and a lot of my work comes from a very somatic perspective, um, that before we even name the experiences we have, which those are what we call our feelings, like the sensations in our body are ultimately, those are our emotions. Mm. And then what we call them are our feelings. Um, and so for me, one way that I just check in is just to, to notice what's going on in my body. Like, what is it? What am I feeling when I talk to someone? Um, that's a lot of times great information around how safe I feel with yeah. someone. That's good. Um, it allow, it gives me information that, that tells me like what my body also might need. Mm-hmm. Um, like for example, like last night when, when I was feeling, I was feeling a lot of tightness in my chest. And I just, there wasn't a lot of lo- like logic connected to that. It wasn't a lot of thoughts. I just noticed it. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to go on a walk and really uh, what I do is I'll, oftentimes I'll picture like, what would my body want? How would my body want to move that? This is going to, this might get too deep, but basically <laughs> if my body could process that emotion, mm-hmm. like what would it, how would it move that? emotion through mm. you know so like last night I am uh, pictured it almost like just like a color like run, running down to my feet and out mm. and and it was just a really like that's just like a that's just a form of self-care to just say oh that's kind of where you're at body and like I'm noticing that um and then I'll just add this too I do like a self-compassion meditation pretty much every morning wow um and that is super helpful for is me. it like the same meditation every morning like a guided no, one or you know i do i i actually love so i use in the insight timer mm-hmm. are you guys familiar mm-hmm. with that and i do i actually love sarah blondin's work yeah, she's amazing she's so, so great so, so i have i really appreciate her so i usually just pick one of hers um and i i've done that almost every morning for a year um, wow. and it is a, just a really helpful way for me to just just listen, yeah. you know, to what, what's going on. That's awesome. That's so well, good. I can't speak for Kara, but I'm so excited to read your book. I know. I'm so pumped. Um, thank you for, yeah. and I, and I honestly want to honor you um, because I know you've had to fight, fight, to find those words. Mm-hmm. And I know that mm-hmm. it didn't come without a cost and I can relate to you in so many different ways. Um, and that, that journey into trying softer, <sighs> I know, I know it wasn't always easy and fun and there's probably Mm. several times you wanted to turn around and just say enough is enough. Uh, but thank you so much for, to continue to lean in and to, as Brene Brown would say, brave the wilderness so that you could uh, put those words on paper. Cause I know they're probably so healing to so many people and I can't wait to read them. So, and thank you for today. This is absolutely Mm -hmm. amazing. Absolutely. Thank you guys. That honors me so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I've got the heart.